All right. Have a new handout. Uh, this marks a kind of definitive point in our discussion on God's wrath. The new handout is wrath as a divine characteristic. And this is something that I stumbled over in my research that I wasn't expecting to find. There are several, a number of different words for wrath in Akkadian. That's the Babylonian language. Just as there are a number of different words for wrath in the Hebrew Bible. And there are two major verbs that I think that are used maybe the most frequently, at least close to the most frequently. Agagu and Azazu in Akkadian. And Agagu really is more of a momentary reaction to something of anger. Azazu is more of a fixed, steady characteristic of anger. And so I got a, I, that sparked a thought. Uh, is it possible that the Old Testament has that kind of thing going on? And my consensus is, and I haven't, I haven't sat down and reread the Old Testament looking for just this thing, but and uh, looking at the texts that talk about the character of God, none of them mention Him. And, and I'm, I'm biasing you now before we look at the evidence for this. But none of them, as far as I can see, really manifest God's wrath as an attribute of his character. The closest you get to it is slow to anger. And that's the characteristic of patience. Um, so um, we're going to go through this This document. seems long, but actually I think we can work through it in one day. Uh, where we examine... Biblical texts that delineate God's character in the Old Testament, and then we'll move to Mesopotamian texts that delineate the characters of various gods. And uh, this is these examples are not exhaustive. In the, the, I did not have time. I can through this study together. I will admit I did not have time to do an exhaustive study, which would take much much longer. So why don't we begin? We'll be mostly reading and pausing for discussion something like we had done in the past. And Tara, why don't we start with you? In Akkadian, two major verbs for wrath exist, agagu and azazu. Though often used synonymously, the former is used of a passing emotion, while the latter refers to an inherent quality. Both are extensively used with the gods as their subject. By contrast, Yahweh's character does not include wrath or terms for power. See Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The closest one gets to the term jealousy, which refers to Yahweh's marital status rights to his people and his desire for loyalty. Of course, verse 7 states, Who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the parents upon their children onto the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. This can be taken as God punishing people for their sins, as do some versions such as the NIV, or it can be understood as referring to the inherent action of, of that hatred of God and its consequences from generation to generation. In the counterpart in Exodus 20, the comment is made, but showing mercy to thousands who love me and keep my commandments, a clear inference that anyone can receive mercy if they respond to divine love. There is no place in the entire Old Testament that refers that, that infers that wrath or anger is part of God's character in the same way as forgiveness, mercy, compassion, and goodness. The closest to it is the term slow to anger in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. I, one one thing I want to say is that uh, the quotation I briefly gave in the first two lines to an inherent quality, passing emotion, uh, That's the reference for that is the Chicago Syrian Dictionary, volume E, page 428. So to let you know that this has a specific bibliography. Okay, what do you think about that? Do you think that God has wrath as part of his character, or how would how would you describe God's wrath if it isn't part of his character? Well, I guess if if we are thinking about what we've gone over the past months, it seems like um, God's wrath seems more of a consequence driven kind of thing, like uh, visiting the punishment on their children not to the fourth, third and fourth generation, right? There's some 
epigenetic evidence, things like that. Yeah, there is epigenetic evidence, and as as we, in our understanding, of course, we would not use probably the same wording as ancient people did, because ancient people understood that everything came from God or the gods. And so they would, they would, the language they would use would be very divinely determined uh, language. And so we have to get behind that language, and if we get behind that language, it seems to me that you can almost, wrath is almost an autonomous feature where God steps back and lets consequences happen. Where, where he simply stops protecting people, or where he simply uh, withdraws his hand of support. So, yeah, I, I tend to think of, and we've, we've talked about wrath, you know, we've gone through the texts that seem to indicate wrath as a metaphor, or wrath as simply uh, consequent, natural consequences. It's like it's almost has something of a mechanism of its own. It, Wrath came out from God, or, or, or just wrath came out, or wrath fell upon Israel. Uh, you have those terms. So I don't really see the Old Testament describing it to, as a characteristic of God. But let's uh, let's actually read uh, some of this. And uh, Jonathan, why don't you read the statement there that we've talked about at length, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And the Lord passes before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is probably the most definitive statement you have about God. And the reason I say that is... The reason that is, is because it's God's own self-disclosure. You don't have a divine disclosure like this anywhere else in the Old Testament. This is is his saying, this is my name, this is my glory. Uh, And glory and name both have to do with character. Uh, if, If you think about... This, this relates better to Asian culture, and if, if you've ever been immersed in Asian culture, you soon find out that people name their children after a characteristic either the child has when it's born or uh, a characteristic uh, of some kind of quality. And if you go to a baby naming ceremony in Jewish synagogue, which Tara has, I think, did they have one the year we went? It seems like there might have been. Yeah. Um, I remember one particular baby naming uh, ceremony that I attended one year where they named the baby after an aunt of the mother's, I think it was. And the reason they named the baby after this aunt is because they wanted this child to emulate the character of the aunt. They they, they greatly admired the aunt. They, They were... They loved her the way she was, and they wanted this child to be like her. Uh, so, name is in the Bible is intimately tied to character, and um, so here is God's divine disclosure. And do you have wrath in it? Visiting of iniquity. Visiting of iniquity. And yeah. How you interpret it. And it depends on how you interpret it, but the visiting of the iniquity doesn't necessarily have to have anger associated with it, does it? I mean, we tend to put that into it. We tend to read that into it, but it doesn't necessarily have to have uh, anger in it. Long-suffering, of course, is this uh, literally long of nose (laughs) phrase that we talked about earlier. And it, it means slow to anger is how it's usually translated literally. But that's not really what literally what it means. Literally what it means is long of nose, meaning you have a long fuse. <laughs> and the nose is the indicator of anger. When a person gets angry, their nose tends to turn red. Or a bull, when it gets angry, snorts through its nose. You know, So that's why nose became associated with anger, I think. And um, 
So the long of nose really doesn't convey anger. Uh, long of anger might come closer if you translate nose as anger, which you can. I mean, off, which is nose, can mean anger in certain contexts. I want to point out to you that, you know, I haven't made an exhaustive study of all ancient Near Eastern texts. That would take... It would take a lifetime just to do that, I think. <laughs> but I've done, I've read widely. I've read anthologies. I've read hymns and, and prayers. And so far as I have come across, I've read prophetic messages uh, given to uh, the king of Mari, for example, and the king of Assyria, because the Mesopotamians had their prophets too, especially in the, I think, 8th century. But nowhere have I come across any indication of a god, a deity, giving an interpretation of himself. The self-disclosure of character is, is not really heard. And I think you'll, you'll get a feel for how this works when we come to the different uh, prayers and hymns of about deity. So let us continue. Let's look at Psalm 103. I, I just put the psalm down because it was, it's a long one. It would just made this document longer. Jonathan, why don't you uh, read several verses? Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all of his benefits. Who forgives all of your iniquity, who heals all of your diseases who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Christina? The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. Like a parent feels compassion for their children, that's how the Lord feels compassion for those who honor him. Because God knows how we are made, God remembers we're just dust. The days of a human life are like grass. Grass They bloom like a wildflower, flower, but when the wind blows through it, it's gone. Even the ground where it stood doesn't remember it. But the Lord's faithful love is from forever ago to forever from now. It's an interesting translation. For those who honor him, and God's righteousness reaches to the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant and remember to keep his commands. Why don't you finish it, Tara? The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Okay, now we're going to go to a very different psalm, and this one isn't in the list. Psalm 90. Actually, uh, hang hang on to Psalm 103. Sorry. There's some things I want to point out rather than just sliding over it. Notice how God is one who forgives sin, who heals sickness, who saves life, who crowns with faithful love and compassion. He works righteousness and justice. Uh, he's compassionate and merciful, very patient, full of faithful love. He won't always play the judge. He won't be angry forever. So the psalmist sees God as angry, but he sees it as short term. I've seen that. Like I've been reading the psalms like for devotional uh -huh. and stuff. Uh -huh. And I yeah, I or this psalmist or many of these psalmists tend to write like, you know, hurt hurt my enemies. 
mm-hmm. sort of thing and be merciful to me. Mm-hmm. So that seems to be a... Because were there a lot of authors of Psalms? It seems like there were because yes. things like David and yes. then like Sons of Korah or whatever. Yes. And yes. Moses. Asaph. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. There were a lot of authors and, and they reflect... This desire for God to do vengeance to their enemies is a very major feature of the Psalms. And it reflects this ancient Near Eastern belief that uh, any any misfortune that happened to you, it was God's will and it was his action. So now we're going to go to a very different Psalm. Psalm 90. And we'll see what we do with that one. Lord... You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. You turn us back to dust and say, Turn back, you mortals, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, or like a watch in the night. For we are consumed by your anger, by your wrath we are overwhelmed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your countenance. For all our days pass away under your wrath, to our years our years come to an end like a sigh. The days of our life are seventy years, or perhaps eighty, if we are strong. Even then, their span is only toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. So teach us to count our days, that we may gain a wise heart. Turn, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us, and as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be manifest to your servants, and your glorious power to your children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and prosper for us the work of our hands. O oh, prosper the work of our hands. So what do you do with that? <laughs> God's angry, it seems like, a lot in this psalm. And, and there's a plea that he will stop being angry and be compassionate. What do we do with it? Yes. Well, if this was written by Moses, I remember you talked about it before, that you think it was like edited or something. I think but, it, I actually don't think Moses wrote it. Yeah. That's, that's my feeling. I think it's been misassigned. Because Moses lived to be 120 years old, mm-hmm. and his, his strength had not abated, which indicates that people were living much longer in Moses' mm-hmm. day than the 70 or 80 years that's mentioned here. That's, to me, that's a, a rather strong giveaway. The other thing is that Moses, if you read the stories of Moses, he does not see God as perpetually angry. Hmm. The, the, the sound, this psalm to me doesn't sound mosaic at all. It sounds like someone in great distress, and you notice that they ascribe, everybody dies, right, in their life on this planet, and, and to them that, that is a sign of God's wrath. We don't stand around someone's deathbed and say, God was angry with you, and that's why you're dying. I mean, we attribute it to they died of this, or they died of that, or they died of the other thing. We don't see it as as everybody dying because God was angry with them. And, and that's why they die. And, and that's what this psalm seems to say. Hmm. And, and so, I, what I see, and, and this is something I think we have to take into consideration with the psalm. They are very real, honest prayers that manifest more what they see about God than what God is revealing about himself. Does that make sense? Uh, they're, they're example prayers for us. They're, they're prayers that will help us to feel like we can approach God. And, and they give us beautiful promises. They give us beautiful reassurance of God being with us. They also give warnings. All of that is important. But in terms of delineating a picture of God, I don't think that's the purpose of the psalm. And, and for that reason, we, we can be, at best say, these, this is their picture of God. This is how they saw it. And it's in harmony with how ancient Near Eastern people saw it. Any, any calamity, anything that happened to you, even if you died of old age, it was the divine anger, uh, manifestation of divine anger. And, and this psalm really bears that out. Does that help at all? Mm-hmm. 
seems like the product of experience. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay, let's turn to Lamentations three. And this is again in the in the same kind of construct as the Psalms. And um, Tara, why don't you start reading? I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my knees. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He shot into my vitals the arrow of his quiver. I have become the laughing suck of all my people, the object of their taunt songs all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what ha- happiness is. So I say, gone is my glory and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is still young. To sit alone in silence when the Lord has imposed it, to put one's mouth to the dust, there may yet be hope. To give one's cheek to the smiter and be filled with insults, for the Lord will not reject forever. Although he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone. When all the prisoners of the land are crushed underfoot, when human rights are perverted in the presence of the Most High, when one's case is subverted, does the Lord not see it? Who can command and have it done if the Lord has not ordained it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should any who draw breath complain about the punishment of their sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts as well as our hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. Okay, I think maybe, what verse did you end? 42. 42. Uh, yeah, I think, I think we can stop with that. So, this is a lament, and, and true ancient Near Eastern lament form. And God's wrath plays a major role. What do you do with this? This is a lament over the fall of Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar's armies. Any ideas on this? Anything that struck you? That's helpful or maybe a question? Give you a question. Um, something interesting in verse 32 and 33. It says, though he brings grief, he will show compassion, so great is his unfailing love. And it says, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. It seems... He's re- yeah, he's he's reluctant to show affliction. Um, I noticed something that um, the Lord, or I'm assuming in the Hebrew says Yahweh, is it mentioned until the merciful verses? Well, I guess there is before, but uh, you you get a lot of the Lord when you get into the uh, more merciful verses. That I noticed that kind of. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. So, so it, can we say maybe from this psalm that um, this lament that God is predominantly love, 
But when calamity strikes, he gets he's angry. That's the that's our perception. He's angry, and the thing we can hope in is that he's basically a loving God, and that he will return to his his love, and that he doesn't really like doing doing what he's doing to us. Uh, which they saw they saw God as bringing Nebuchadnezzar to Jerusalem and making him destroy the city, and that that's how they perceived it. Any anything else or any other questions? I like that somehow he still has hope. About a third of the way through the chapter, he starts talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that the whole lament doesn't end in hope. It ends on a note of, "Will you be angry forever?" <laughs> you know, it ends on a rather somber note. But in that middle section. It does seem that he finds, he, he thinks about how God really is and sees him as basically, basically compassionate. Did you have something to say, John? Oh, just that, uh, yes, I, I've read some, I, I think, I think it was Babylonian laments. I think one mm-hmm. of them was the lament to, I don't remember what what the title it was. Anyway, um, the, it was really really similar in language, at least the first the first part, where the goddess the the goddess has tormented and made the person sick, the person is praying, and it it really sounds ancient Near Eastern to me, mm-hmm. the first part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Jonathan has just been taking Psalms and Wisdom. Uh, so we've, we've been, of course, comparing the Psalms and Wisdom literature with ancient Near Eastern texts. Okay, uh, let's move on now to Jonah. Um, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is a case of an angry prophet who doesn't like God's mercy, right? And he spits out exactly God's own self-disclosure to Moses, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Nothing like throwing God's words back in his face. I knew you were like this. And he doesn't add the visiting the iniquity. He leaves that off. It's, it rankles in Jonah's mind. Why don't you destroy these people? They're evil, they're wicked. Destroy them. And it rankles in his mind that God's basic character is love. So he he's angry at God's love. Let's uh, read Micah. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. He will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. Okay. So, yes, he, he has anger, but he doesn't retain it forever. Uh, he delights in mercy. God's preference is love, not anger. Uh, this, this seems to come out over and over again, uh, that there's a decided preference in God's mercy. Okay, uh, why don't we read on, and uh, Christine, we have a long paragraph there, but I think you're up to it. This is not a delineation of God's character, but a plea for justice by King David. O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me to pieces, in pieces, while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God... If I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me, or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me, 
Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. So the congregation of the peoples shall surround you. For their sakes, therefore, return on high. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. But establish the just, for the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. My defense is of God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked brings forth. The wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will, and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Okay, stop right there. One thing you need to know is that these words in italics is a heritage of the King James Version. I don't know how recently you've read the King James Version, but it has words all the time like the and a and is in italics. And that's because the King James Version was so faithful to the Hebrew that it would put any word they had to add that wasn't in the Hebrew Bible, they would put it in italics. Mm. Most people don't know that. But uh, that's that's how that came about. And you notice in, let's see, I didn't put the verses on here, uh, where it says God is angry with the wicked every day. Now, the wicked is in italics, so it's not in the Hebrew. But I think we can assume that's what he's talking about. And, and notice that the, the idea that God is angry with the wicked every day is David's real comfort. He's comforted by the idea that God is angry with the wicked every day. And, and he envisions God sharpening his sword and bending his bow and, and making instruments of death and putting arrows into people. And he really has this very strong vindictive uh, justice in mind. He wants God to destroy the wicked. He really does want that. And this is, again, in keeping with ancient Near Eastern perceptions about God. Now, David doesn't always end on this note. In Psalm 139, this is a a more familiar psalm that has to do with God being everywhere. He's always leading us. He's always guiding us. And and it's, it's saying wonderful things about God. But start with verse 19. Let's see. I think Christina read last. I'll read that. If only, God, you would kill the wicked. If only murderers would get away from me. The people who talk about you, but only for wicked schemes. The people who are your enemies. Who use your name as if it were of no significance. Don't I hate everyone who hates you? Don't I despise those who attack you? Yes, I hate them, through and through. They've become my enemies too. Don't know what they meant that to rhyme. <laughs> Examine me, God. Look at my heart. Put me to the test. Know my anxious thoughts. Look to see if there's any idolatrous way in me, and then lead me in the eternal path. Uh, this is a, a correction based on the Targum, the Septuagint, and the Syriac, and the Vulgate. I, this is actually a correction of the Hebrew, but in, the, in these other versions, it means painful or wicked or hurtful way. See if there's any hurtful way in me. It, it's like he's almost beginning to think, maybe this isn't the right attitude toward my enemies. So what do you think? How, how shall we conclude about these delineations of God's character? Is it a case of God is love, but? It sounds like if only you would slay the wicked, David wants to slay the wicked. Yeah. And God doesn't do it, does he? I mean, the wicked are still there. So what does that suggest? Does it suggest that maybe... There's always this human tendency to want God to be a little like us. Give us permission to get angry and ticked off. After all, our anger is righteous indignation. 
to me, the way I, I see this is in layers. In the first layer, God's own self-disclosure, there really is no anger. It's direct anger. There's this visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, which gets variable. You can read it uh, two different ways, depending, I think, on bias. I think both sides we have to admit we're biased. And um, depending on one's bias is how one's going to read it. But there's no direct mention that God is a wrathful God. There's just none of that in his self-disclosure. You get to the prophets, and it's kind of a little bit mixed, but the bulk of the prophets suggests that God is a gracious, merciful, full of compassion, who does not delight in uh, afflicting people. And then you go to the Psalms and the lament literature, and it's a little more God is angry, depending on the psalm that you're reading. God is angry with the wicked every day. He, he, the fact that, that our years end in 70 years and we die means that God is angry. Um, but even, even in the bulk of the Psalms, with the exception maybe of Psalm 90, and even Psalm 90, there's, there's a sense that God is still love and that he's still kind and he's still gracious. So in the layers, the farther you get away from direct self-disclosure, the more anger you get. But in, in the direct in the self-disclosure the, is the least amount of anger. Let's go to Babylon. And the first one I put here is probably the most telling. It's the most articulate statement about deity. Remember, there's no self-disclosures of deity to people in Mesopotamia. Deities don't bother to say what they're like. So at best, the worshippers are groping in the dark to try to understand the gods and their ways. And they freely admit that the ways of the gods are remote. They can't understand them. So the, the best material we have to describe God or the gods in Babylon are the are the laments and the, the prayers and the hymns that we have. And so what you have in the rest of this document are examples of these prayers and hymns. Uh, the first one comes from a theodicy work known as I Will Praise the Lord of Wisdom or let it literally is Let Me Praise the Lord of Wisdom. The title in parentheses is simply the Akkadian for Let Me Praise the Lord of Wisdom. And Tara, I think it's your turn to read. You can read as many lines as you want. I will praise the Lord of wisdom, a God judicious, angry at nighttime, loosening up in daytime. Marduk, Lord of wisdom, a God judicious, angry at nighttime, loosening up in daytime. Who is like a storm, a violent storm, his fury is desolate. And like the breeze of the morning, his blowing is good. His fury is unfaceable, the deluge in his boiling fury. His mind is merciful, his heart is relenting. The main force of whose hand the heavens cannot bear, whose hand of greatness helps the dead. Marduk, whose powerful hands the heavens cannot bear, the greatness of whose hands helps the dead. In his wrath he opens graves. When in slaughter he causes the fallen to rise. He looks angrily the Lamassu and shades de- depart. He sets his eye, and the personal God turns back to the one he punished away. For an instant, his heavy punishment is terrible. But suddenly he has pity, returns into his mother. He hastens to treat his beloved kindly, like a cow with its calf. My cow rotates with me. His beatings are thorns, he pierces the body. Soothing are his bandages, he heals the victims of Natmar, the dying. When he speaks, he imposes crimes on one. On the day of his judgment, debts and sins are absolved. It is he who oppresses. He makes people sick. By his incantation, shivers and chills are expelled. Okay. So what's the sequence here? Bipolar. <laughs> bipolar. <laughs> Maybe schizophrenic? Yeah. <laughs> one minute... Actually, this is a rapid cycle, bipolar. Uh, one minute, got, he's punishing and he's angry. And the next minute, he's kind and merciful and compassionate. Back and forth, back and forth. 
And you notice he always mentions his anger first, and his as as relenting and his mercy second. So it seems like the dominant perception of the Babylonians about their gods is they're angry, and yes, they are merciful. Uh, this is a very long poem. I brought my, uh, it up on my laptop so that I could read you how this goes. This is actually a story of a man who suffers all kinds of problems. He becomes uh, deathly ill. Uh, his reputation is ground into the dust. He has all kinds of calamities and disasters uh, befall him. And um, finally, when he, he actually gets so close to death's door that they're preparing his grave and planning his funeral. And... Um, I, of course, you don't know how much of this is exaggeration, poetic exaggeration, but he's he's right at death's door when he has a dream in which a, a divine being who's female comes to him and uh, says, "You're," um, and, and an exorcist comes to exorcise the demons, and his illness is destroyed. Okay, so he. He talks about, in my waking moments, he, and I think this is uh, the exorcist, sent a message, his sign of favor he revealed to my people. Illness was promptly ended and something was were destroyed. Since the heart of my Lord was pacified, the mood of merciful Marduk is calmed. He accepted my prayers, his sweet cheerfulness, and this is a very broken text, so uh, we don't really know for sure what it says from there. But... What it seems to be in the Babylonian perception of this, and I haven't found anything that really negates this, uh, gods are potentially angry all the time. And yes, they can be merciful, they can relent, but it's through appeasement. You have to appease their wrath in order for them to relent. Okay, uh, Christina, you want to read Marduk characterized Enuma Elish. Enuma Elish is the Babylonian creation epic. Uh, it's, it's a very very prominent and uh, major work of Babylon. Mershakushu, angry but deliberative, furious but relenting. Deep is his heart, all-encompassing his feelings. His word is truth. What he says is not changed. Not one god has annulled his utterance. If he frowns, he will not relent. If he is angry, no god can face his rage. His heart is deep, his feelings all-encompassing. He before whom crime and sin must appear for judgment. And I, I have a note here. This, uh, this statement is taken from the 50 names of Marduk at the end of the word. And uh, this, these 50 names kind of baffle scholars. They're not sure what they mean. But if you understand that naming in Mesopotamia gave existence to someone, and this, this gives not only Marduk existence, but it gives him authority and power to give him 50 names. In those 50 names, nowhere, nowhere do character traits of compassion and mercy appear. That's the closest one is the first line that Christina read, furious but relenting. That's the closest you get to mercy and compassion. Anger clearly dominates in this text. And that's not true of all ancient Mesopotamian texts, uh, but certainly in this one. Okay, uh, let's start with uh, the great prayer to Ishtar. You are the great one, the exalted one. All the black-headed folk, living creatures, mankind, praise your valor. You are the one who renders verdicts for subject peoples in truth and justice. You look upon the impressed and abused and always set them right. Have mercy, mistress of heaven and earth, shepherdess of the human race. O splendid lioness of the Agigi gods, who renders furious gods submissive, most capable of all sovereigns, who grasps the lead rope of kings, who opens the veils of young women. You rise up, bring yourself down. Great is your valor, valor O valiant Ishtar, shining torch of heaven and earth, brilliance of all inhabited lands, furious is in irresistible onslaught, hero to the fight, fiery glow that blazes against the enemy, who wreaks destruction in the fierce, dancing one, he's Ishtar, who masses the multitude, 
goddess of men, Ishtar of women, whose intentions no one can learn. Wherever you look, the dead come to life, the sick arise, the unjustly treated prosper at the sight of you. I call my, I myself call upon you, your exhausted, desperate, most stricken servant. Look upon me, mistress, accept my treaty. Have mercy on my wretched person, which is full of confusion and perturbation. Have mercy upon my most stricken heart, which is full of tears and sighing. Erninditum, raging lion, may your heart be calmed. Furious wild bull, may your feelings be eased. May your benevolent eyes rest upon me. Look upon me with your beaming features. What's your picture of Ishtar? You can't really, I don't know, like, fiery. Yeah. Hard to look at. Okay. She seems to have some degree of mercy because she calms down other angry gods. Uh, that's the role of women, isn't it, always, to calm down men who are angry? <laughs> uh, the, the mother who calms the father down when the child has been disobedient, you know, that kind of motif. I think it was anciently very much adopted. But even she, when it comes to war, she's furious. She's fierce. And let me let me tell you, in my study of divine anger in ancient Near East, uh, anger is very much tied to royalty and war. Kings leading the battles, the troops into war. That's that's where you really get a lot of anger manifested, and also among gods. Who's next? Why don't you read a literary prayer to Marduk? Oh, furious Lord, let your heart be calmed. Be eased in your feelings for, O furious Marduk, let your heart be calmed. Be eased in your feelings for, your look is a serpent, the crushing power of a flood, the onslaught of a conflagration. Where is your equal? O Marduk, whose look is a serpent, the crushing power of a flood, the onslaught, onslaught of a conflagration. Where is your equal? Blank in your fury, you can help. Gentle your pity like a father's your mercy. O Marduk, in your fury you can help. You know how to pardon the flagrant crime, to waive the punishment in your grievous cases. Your heart is merciful, your feelings. You can show favor in guilt and wrongdoing. O Marduk, your heart is merciful, your feelings. This is a rather fragmentary text, so it's a awkward to read, but yeah... You know how to pardon. You can be, you're merciful, but the anger comes first. The fury comes first. Uh, it seems to dominate the text. Okay, Jonathan, you want to read a great hymn to Nabu? Nabu is Marduk's son. Oh, Nabu, will the anxious like a blank. Blank, yes, turn blank. Blank, your anger, your raging yoke, you, abundance... <laughs> You release the yield, O oh Lord, in your blank fire, in your pitilessness. Of the gods you spit, I'm sure, O Nabu, in your fire, in your pitilessness. Of the gods you inspect, I'm sure, O excellent Lord, be calmed at once. May your features relax, have pity. O excellent Nabu, be calmed at once. May your features relax, have pity. Wise one, master of the literate arts, O furious Lord, you are angry with your servant. What in misery have beset him? O furious Nabu, you are angry with your servant. What in misery have beset him? Omnipotent Lord, let iniquity be erased. O swift to forgive, let foul crime be forgiven. Omnipotent Nabu, let iniquity be erased. O swift to forget. Let foul crime be forgiven. forgiven. Without your consent, O Nabu, there can be no forgiveness, unless by you my iniquity and crime will not be absolved. Your servant has done wrong, and you continue to turn away from him in anger. In your anger you cast down the burrowing beetle, a hostile deity. The prayer continues with the depiction of various plagues the petitioner suffers from. You discipline your servant. Now give him a vent to breathe through. Incline your face to him. Turn your head towards him. O Nabu, you discipline your servant. Now give him a vent to breathe through. 
Incline your face to him. Turn your head towards him. Produce a substitute. And let him find self-preservation. I had a roommate one time who used to come in really angry. I mean, just furious. And she would she would come right towards me, ready to beat me up. And I would say, well, why don't you beat up that pillow over there? You know, trying to find a substitute. <laughs> she said, no, I want blood. I want human blood. Oh. <laughs> it, it, this text reminds me of that. that the Babylonians really did believe that if the gods had someone to beat up, they could. it didn't matter really who it was, as long as that person bore the same name of the person that they that they were trying to beat up, uh, it would be the substitute would work. So this this producing of substitute. Uh, so so Nabu is angry, but he's quick to forgive. Uh, which do you think dominates here? Anger. Yeah. I, I think anger definitely doesn't. And I've, I've puzzled over this because Nabu is the scribal god. He's the god of the scribal arts. And you would think somebody into literacy would be calmer. Mm-hmm. But you need to know how the uh, Dubu, the house of the tablet, the Tupi, beat, beat Tupi, the house of the tablet, was run. That's the school, scribal schools. The teachers were merciless. They would beat you if you missed up on your messed up on your assignment. And uh, there was all kinds of polishing the apple, trying to win teachers over to the family so that they wouldn't abuse the kids and things like that. Um, so uh, you can imagine any scribe thinking of Nabu would think in terms of harshness because his his scribal master was harsh. Uh, makes sense. Let's, uh, let's see. I think somehow my computer froze. What time do we have? I think our time is up. Twelve. Twelve? Mm-hmm. I think we better, I think since we have one church, we better uh, close with that. Uh, so what, how do you think this compares with the Old Testament, just briefly? Sort of mirror, right? Because if Yahweh is wrathful when we do wrong, at least that's like that's service, a perception. Service, yeah, service perception of the Old Testament. The Middle Eastern gods are angry unless you appease them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not the appeasement in the Old Testament, is there? Uh, what about God's own divine disclosure? How does it compare with that? In Exodus 34, 6 and 7. These are just people talking to their... These are like Psalms. Yeah, these are more like the Psalms. Um, it seems to me that these uh, prayers and hymns are much more full of divine anger than the Psalms. I mean, I had to, I had to think about which Psalms would portray God the angriest, and Psalm 90 came to my mind. It does seem that anger dominates Mesopotamian deity more than even in the Psalms. And if you put it side by side with God's divine disclosure. Um, God is hardly angry at all, if he's angry at all. Of course, if you put it side by side, Jesus, then we're, that's what we're going to do next. Uh, once we finish this, we're going to move to that. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us your word in a time when God's ancient gods were angry. They were deemed as angry, needing placating and appeasement. Thank you for your self-disclosure of, of a God who is not predominantly angry, whose, whose character is love, and whose wrath is really, uh, in, in the ways that we've looked at in the Old Testament, really the consequences of our own choice. I pray that we may see this more clearly as we move on to the New Testament. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.